0: Welcome to Christian Financial Perspectives, where you're invited to gain insight, wisdom, and knowledge about how Christians integrate their faith, life, and finances with a biblical worldview. Here's your host, Christian investment advisor, financial planner, and coach, Bob Barber.
1: Welcome to our 102nd podcast for Christian Financial Perspectives. Today we're going to be talking about high investment returns and wealth. I. Pick this subject because we are finding many people, they call us and they actually believe that high investment returns are one of the only ways to wealth, and it is for a small minority, but not for the majority of us. For 99% of us, high investment returns have little to do with obtaining wealth, and that's just something we're really going to get deep into today. What are the traits of wealthy people? From my 37 years in business, when I started thinking about this, I just started thinking about the traits of people that I know that are millionaires—either one, two, or even three, or even five million dollars—and what are these traits that I've seen over 37 years? And I came up with 15 traits that we're going to go through of millionaires. Now, there are a few millionaires; they don't have all these traits. There are a few out there, but you know, the—they're in the minority. The majority do have these traits
2: well i guess bob there's always exceptions to the rule yes so we got that uh, disclosure out of the way but wow 37 years so you've seen a few a few millionaires over that time Uh, just quite a few as a matter of
1: fact but you know what sean they're not like you think they drive up in this parking lot out here and and some of them are just old ranchers and are driving seven and eight year old trucks and they're just what I call good old boys. You know, I'm pretty country and their wives are just wonderful women in the Lord and love the Lord. And I tell you, that's trait number one. The first trait of these 15 traits is they have a strong foundation in God. Uh, They have a strong foundation in their families and they really believe in long-term relationships. And I I believe these strong foundations is, is what keeps them from swaying with which way the wind happens to be blowing at the time. And when I think about those strong foundations, I think of Matthew 7, 24 through 25. And by the way, on all these traits, God's Word just came to me about there's a scriptural passage for every one of these traits. And, and this first trait of building that strong foundation in God is from Matthew 7, 24 through 25. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them in the practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. So trait number one is having a strong foundation.
2: That's a great scripture to go along with that first trait. Thank you. Everything we do, not just in this podcast, but but really everything we do in life, we should always look to Scripture to find some sort of basis for that. Now, you're not going to see things about what you should or shouldn't do on Facebook in the Bible, but more of the principles that may apply to... How you conduct yourself online.
1: Well, well one, now I want to correct you a little bit there because you think about it, it may say something about Facebook. We're not to gossip about others, right? Exactly. There you go. So the principle
2: yeah. is there, yeah. although of course the technology may or may not have existed at that time. Exactly. Yeah. So, but well, that's going to trait number two. They live a self-disciplined lifestyle. So to me, this this comes out as the kind of an obvious one. Mm-hmm. They they aren't going all over the place. They aren't changing their mind they're very consistent kind of goes right with the strong foundation. Like you said, trait number one, sure does But it's that they're disciplined in whatever it is that they're doing, whether mm-hmm. it's their walk with the Lord, mm-hmm. whether it's their relationships that they have with maybe, you know, within their company or the company they work with. That's and, right. And yeah. they don't treat it as, Oh, we'll just, we'll figure it out. You know, they, they work hard. They have a disciplined yeah. approach. Exactly. so, there's actually two scriptures that we have for, for this one. The first one is 2 Timothy 1, seven, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Got that discipline in there, doesn't it? Exactly. Got the word in there, yeah. And then Proverbs 12, 1, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid.
1: <laughs> Boy, that's pretty clear, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean you got the word stupid in there. That's not a very nice thing to say, but I mean it's like when it says it, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. That that's saying that correcting somebody no don't always take that wrong. They care about you. They're trying to help
2: you. Exactly. And I think we've said this before on one of our other episodes, but Proverbs doesn't tend to hold back and if anything, I found, like, if you, if you pull up, like, The Message or one of the other translations where it's it's a little more literal, maybe not necessarily the exact word-for-word translation, it gets more just kind of in your face, you know, to, to where it's stupid to say, you know, maybe it says, is a, is a moron,
1: you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah,
2: It like, just lays it out. Yeah. That's what I like <laughs> about Scripture.
1: It's clear. Um, trait number three. That's interesting, wouldn't it? Isn't it? They're hard workers. That's so surprising. Mm, I, yeah, <laughs> you know, those that are wealthy are hard workers, and they're not lazy. The scripture I thought of this came right to me. Uh, you know, by the way, work appears in the Bible over four hundred. I think it's four hundred and fifty times or more. I think it was four hundred and fifty-five, maybe yeah. to be exact. You can pull it up. I mean, you can pull up your, you know, your Bible app and put in work and see how many times it appears. Yeah. But it it's is a lot. It's in there a lot, and where retire is in there one time. So it's there in Genesis 2, 15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden, and what does it say? To, to work, work it, it. And take care of it. So they're hard workers, and there's a scriptural basis behind that, because work as if you're working for
2: the Lord, because it is God-ordained. Yeah. And you are. No matter no matter what you're doing, no matter what your position, no matter whether you're wealthy or not, your work is really part of your worship. It's honoring the Lord. And I know at our at our church we uh, we always talk about how we we turn an everyday space into a sacred place. And and Brand, I'm sorry I may have I may have gotten space and space uh, place and space mixed up, but you get the point. It's and your it's church the is doing so that. well. Yeah, it was batting cages yeah. the rest of the exactly. week, right? Yeah. yeah. But no matter, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, and, and when it comes to work, that is a way for you to actually worship and, and show honor to God. Because whether someone sees you or not in your discipline and, and in your character, your honesty, that work is a way to praise God. You know, we're just a
1: trait number four, and so far we haven't even mentioned higher returns and wealth yet, have we?
2: No, but we will eventually yeah, get we that. Yeah, we will. Yeah. We will eventually. Yeah. <laughs> so trait number four... They're consistent savers and grow their wealth over time by investing wisely. Now, I actually like this one because this kind of reminds me, I, I think it was our last episode, where we talked about how investing won't save you from saving. Yeah. And, and so in this, this one right here, it's they're consistently saving and investing, not just one. So the, the verse for this one is Ecclesiastes 11.2, invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight, you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. And you know, it's
1: interesting, in all the years that, that uh, I've been managing and helping wealthy people manage their wealth, this is so true, very few, Sean, and, and I know that um, you know real estate's really big, and you and I know that, but out of the 370 households that we serve here, there's only, like, two that have made the wealth in real estate. Yep. Only two. The majority make it by investing across many different sectors mm-hmm. in a diversified portfolio, which actually it goes so well with this scripture from yeah. Ecclesiastes
2: 11.2. And in addition, those same households also have something in common, which is some of the other traits we've already covered, where it's from, it's from working hard, it's from saving diligently, so yes, they are investing and they're dividing it through diversification, but it's, it's not just a, here's this money one time and it's magically going to be enough for retirement 30, yeah. 40 years from now. No, it was little by little over time. And in a so, lot
1: of different areas, exactly. not just one stock.
2: right? It's, I mean, I,
1: we have a few, but it's not the majority. Again, it's there's always an 1%. exception. There's always an exception yeah. to the rule. So trait number five. Hmm. Didn't think we would ever be saying this one. They're frugal. <laughs> They're very frugal with how they spend money. Yep. And they they look at everything, and I think they look at it through the eyes of this particular scriptural verse that I'm going to give. Luke 14, 28 through 29. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost? That's right. That's yeah. that's the main part. Yeah. <laughs> estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it. For if you lay the foundation and you're not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you. Yeah.
2: Wow. That is a great one. If, if you ever wondered, are budgets only for poor people? The answer is no. It doesn't matter what your income is. It doesn't matter how much wealth you have. Those who are wealthy tend to stay wealthy because of following this principle, they're frugal. Yeah, and, it no. doesn't mean they. Do, it doesn't mean they don't spend money. Maybe they do buy a nice car. Maybe they do buy a vacation home, but they don't just make these quick decisions and and just say, "Oh, well, in my portfolio. I have two point five million dollars. I've got enough to buy this million dollar house." No, no. They they look at what is the actual cost going to be because now they may have gone from retiring on a certain income that they were expecting per year to. Retiring on maybe half that. Yeah, they got to learn.
1: They got to learn to live on it. You know me; I'm always looking at financial stuff on the yes. internet. It's what I, I'll probably send you and Teresa at least two or three articles a day of stuff I find yes. because because. And, I'm, and
2: I try to read on, especially like yeah, CNBC I and other stuff. I, tr- I try to read as much as I can in the morning, so I can at least say, "Yes, Bob, I looked at uh, this yeah, one already." Yeah. <laughs>
1: well, it, I was just, I was just noticing one the other day, and and, and it was it was talking about athletes. And how athletes, they make all this money, yet the average athlete just five to ten years later doesn't have anything. And, yeah. and they had the chance to be millionaires the rest of their yeah. lives, but yeah. they weren't frugal with well, it. Well,
2: they're, they're a classic example of sudden well syndrome, just like lottery winners mm-hmm. or people striking, which o- striking oil. Which we're going to about here in a minute. Which we are. And it's, it's really sad because you know, these, are, these athletes, a lot of times, I mean, they're kids regardless of what they're even if they were considered middle class. I mean, the types of salaries that professional athletes pull in to all of a sudden go from, I don't know, maybe your household made 50,000 or 60,000 a year, and now you're effectively making 50, 60,000 a month. It, it's they just don't know how to handle it. And they don't realize that all of these cars and houses and boats and trips they're going on that if they get injured or whenever they do finally retire, If they haven't planned accordingly, it's going to either be already gone or they're going to run out really quick. Mm -hmm. So, but uh, this actually goes into word number... Trait number six. Six. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. So trait number six, they believe in giving back a portion of their income to charities and helping others. Which reminds me of the fact that no matter what you have, whether it's a little or a lot, it belongs to God in the first place. So this trade of, of giving back to, to helping others, to charities, to, to church, it makes sense. Like, God asks us to do that. We need to support those who need it. So giving back, it's it's a very Christian thing to do.
1: Well, and also, it it releases selfishness. Yeah. When you're not giving, it's all about me, and, 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 yep. and that selfishness takes place.
2: And when you become selfish, then
1: that can create financial disaster.
2: Yeah, and... In my opinion, there there's a big difference between f- being frugal and being selfish. Frugal is you're you're careful with what you spend, mm-hmm. not that you are hoarding it for yourself. So well, I think it's
1: interesting we talk about being frugal, and then the very next thing is exactly. giving.
2: so uh, Second Corinthians nine six through seven is our trait number six verse. Remember this: whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap. Generously, Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I always I'll...
1: used the scripture, by the way, when I was in a smaller church, and I was always the one that got to, uh, when it came time for the offering, I, they'd ask me to pray. And I'd always say, now I want to see y'all smiling when the place yeah. <laughs> going by. <laughs> All right. Well, you want to take number seven, Bob? I'll take number seven. Trait number seven of the wealthy is they have a good reputation in their communities. And the scripture that goes with this is from Proverbs twenty-two one: A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. So that reputation. How do you get a good reputation? Yeah. You get a good reputation by treating people fairly. Yeah. Whether it's your
2: employees, your vendors, your your customers you work with, giving back to the you know, previous trait, giving back to the community, giving right. to others, that's part of it. Not that you give just to get credit or to get recognition, but it's you should do it. Right, it's helping your community. Exactly.
1: They're forthright. They're they're honest. They, that's how you you get a good reputation from doing things that give you a good reputation. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> That's pretty simple. Yeah.
2: yeah. I don't know how else to explain that one. Right? Yeah. So trait number eight, they've been married to the same spouse for many years and very few have ever been divorced. Yeah. And this was a hard one for me to
1: actually put in here. I am not going to pass judgment. Right.
2: I, right. That's, just, that's not it, what that, we that, mean here that, at all. That no. not,
1: not at all. Not at all. I'm just saying that divorce fragments wealth. Okay? It does. Okay. Yeah. Not no. Not only that, but it it gets into all the other areas too. You know, with yeah. your children and your reputation in the community. Yeah, and it's hard. It is. It's it's yeah. very hard. And my heart goes out to anyone that's had to go through that. It's not a good thing. And and um, keep
2: in mind too, because again, these traits that we're covering, it's the commonality that right. Bob has seen. You you know, you've you've seen Bob over the last thirty seven years. It, it again, there are exceptions. It does not mean that if you've been unfortunately. You've gone through a divorce. It, it does not mean that you can't be wealthy, that you can't uh, do things in a in a way that glorifies God to build wealth. It's just it's a lot less likely that someone would be wealthy who has gone through a divorce.
1: Right. And we do. We have several clients that have been through the divorce, and and they are they they've yeah. they've picked it up. Yeah. And they're they're doing well because they followed all these, and this was as, as, at no fault of their own. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, uh, I would but,
2: say it is kind of like, a. just think of it as a simple math problem. You know, if, if you've been married even a shorter period of time, like five, 10 years, and it was during a, a really hardworking part of your career, and you you mm-hmm. and your, your spouse, you've been building your assets, and then I would say it's pretty typical, stuff gets split 50-50. Right. Well, all of a sudden, you've had, say, 10 years of your life, you got cut in half. Right. You know, and when you look at investment returns with saving, like, well, time is, is a fantastic tool as far as building for retirement and building building wealth. And if yes. you lose half, half of what, that you, time, what you gain during that time, that's hard to overcome.
1: It very much is. And, and I would say this is a trait because, I, Sean, I can nearly guarantee you that of all those that we serve, the divorce rate is less than 2%. Two or three percent. I know those that have been through it, and my heart goes out to them. And here at Christian Financial Advisors, we are going to be compassionate. We are not going to pass judgment. We're going to help you pick up the pieces and go forward.
2: Well, let's let's do the. Almost forgot the verse. Ephesians five thirty one. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Um, I heard a pastor say one time, speaking of one flesh, he said. Remember the old thick
1: construction paper we used to work with when we were kids, mm-hmm. and I remember they used to give us Elmer's glue. That maybe that dates me, but we would glue. I think they still use it. I just bought would, some for Ronan. We <laughs> would we would put that paper together, and and it, once that paper has come together, you know, you have a red piece and the blue piece as an example. Once that paper comes together, you, if you try to rip that paper apart, there's pieces of it on each mm-hmm. part. You can't you can't pull it apart after it's had some time together. Yeah. Okay. So, trait number nine. They have strong roots in their communities and local churches, kind of like that. some of those at the beginning. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. They had that, have that, that day body. Is they have, yeah. They have <laughs> that support group that the church gives you.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, trait number ten, they do not chase foolish fantasies, trying to find perfection and utopia. I see a lot of that today. <laughs> you want? Uh, you want to give an example of that one, Bob? Well, no, I don't.
1: Okay. I just see more and more of it. Unfortunately, in the younger generations, um, finally they find they find out by the time they, I guess, hit about thirty or thirty-five. Now, I'm not going to find utopia. <laughs> I'm not going to find perfection. Life is not that
2: way. Yeah. And so, is is that more of the uh, the idea that you're you're looking for? Oh, there's there's like the perfect place to live, or there's the the perfect job that'll somehow like it'll be everything that I'm I'm looking for. And and the reality is you can make it, and you can make a life, and you can have joy almost anywhere. But the thing is, is if you're constantly chasing this perfect place to live, this perfect job, this perfect group of friends, or whatever it is you're looking for, you're going to spend all of your life looking. You're never going to find it. Yeah, That's, that's exactly right. And i You have I, I to make you, it.
1: We got the scripture goes with that. Go for
2: it. All right. Ecclesiastes 4, 4 through 6. And I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind.
1: <laughs> I, you know, it reminds me of when Paul is saying, I've learned to be content in all things. Yeah. Whether I'm wealthy or whether I'm poor, whether I'm well-fed or whether I'm hungry, I've learned to find contentment, and that contentment is Christ. And trying to find perfection and utopia here on earth, I'm sorry, it's just never going to happen. Yeah. Trait number 11, they're very honest and forthright in their dealings with others. This is one of the scripture I've used many times in Christian financial perspectives. Luke 16:10. whoever can be trusted with very little... Can also be trusted with much, hmm. and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. There's a real scriptural principle in here, in there. Yeah. This kind of comes back to the parable of the talents too.
2: It does. You, that's what I was thinking.
1: Were you? Because if you've been trustworthy in handling those little things,
2: then maybe I can give you a little bit more. Yeah.
1: To handle, and then a little bit more.
2: Kind, kind of like the idea of you know if you have a career path and you show yourself to be someone who who is honest no matter who they're dealing with that you're you're honest and you you have integrity and you can be trusted with projects you're given or or tasks that your your supervisor gives you well those people are far more likely to be promoted and to be given more responsibility because those that they're working with and those are working for they know they can trust them yeah and and if you Sit on your hands, or you know, fold your hands, as we talked about in that la- that previous verse. A little sleep, and, a little slumber. You know, do not do nothing. Yeah, work. <laughs> you're you're not going to go much <laughs> further. Yeah. yeah. So. Right number twelve. Right number twelve. They are careful about getting into too much debt, and many are completely debt free, and have been for years.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've just I've just noticed this with those that are wealthy and and have the million or multi-millions, they are really careful about debt. Yeah. The majority of them are actually debt-free.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, they don't – zero debt at all. And and I'm not going to go down that path of, of you know, saying you, you you can't go buy a home. I mean, it's – because right. my dad used to say whether you rent or whether you uh, buy, you, you pay for the place you occupy. Exactly. Okay? <laughs> so I can see that, but just it's about being wise with debt.
2: Yeah. Well, I think maybe the, the better example for people listening is it's not about whether or not you have a mortgage on a home. It's it's going to be very rare if someone, especially earlier in their career and in their in their life, to be debt free on their home. But a good example would be, do you have debt beyond, say, a mortgage or maybe even at most two car loans? Because mm-hmm. if you've got credit card that you have a running balance on if you have multiple credit cards or you have other you know short-term vacation loans or you know whatever yep. that list is you know that's not going to help you in the long run and that and that right there is, is proverbs 22 7 which the says rich the rich, rule over the poor right yeah the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender mm-hmm. that's why i mean not the rich is the banks I guess in the, they, they're
0: yeah.
1: the ones ruling over the poor, and, they're, and the bar is slave to the banks. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Trait number 13, their identity and self-worth is not based on things. Okay. Hear me out on this. It's like the old millionaire coming up, and he's driving in a six-year-old truck. It's not based on things like what kind of car or big truck you drive. Now, here in Texas, everybody's got to have the King Ranch Edition. Have you seen what those things cost? Even aftermarket,
2: they're a little pricey it's, still. It's crazy.
1: <laughs> and, and how large their home is, it's not based on that. And millionaires, that's not where their identity's based. Now, I, I will say this. Many do drive nice vehicles, and they do live in nice homes. But it's not what they emphasize in, yeah. in life. Many millionaires I know drive 6- to 10-year-old cars that they take, take very good care of they live in your everyday average type neighborhood like yeah. right here behind the office that, you know, that we have, this is where they live. They don't, the neighborhoods many times with the million dollar plus homes have the million dollar plus loans yep. too. <laughs> okay.
2: You know, it makes, it makes me think of the point is not whether or not it's a new car. I think the, the more important thing is that people who are wealthy, they typically don't have their identity tied up in the car. I, one person I think of is my my own dad. And he definitely could buy a really nice car for himself. You know, he's he's always one, I think it's a, a BMW X6 or something, it's just like SUV that mm-hmm. he likes. But he's usually going down to the farm or going to the mine. And if he drove up in one of those things, yeah, he probably could drive through, but he'd ruin the car and everybody would kind of laugh at him, like, Steve, what are you doing <laughs> driving that He always, almost always has a, a more simple, basic, F one fifty. He's got a truck bed. It's got four by four, so we can get through stuff, and and that's it. And he just trades it out a little more frequently, but he doesn't spend a lot of money on it.
1: You know, it's funny, Sean. So. <laughs> I was thinking about this when you were saying that. I kind of brag about myself now because I'm driving an old car. Isn't that weird? I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, I've 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 gotten to this point that we're talking about today. Yeah. yeah. And, and now, when I could go buy any kind of car I wanted, I mean, if I wanted to go buy a two hundred thousand dollar, you know, Mercedes whatever, I could go buy it. You could. Yeah. But. I just but, put well, I just put I remember tires, you, you said, said something on, to me. Yeah. <laughs> you said my something Explorer? recently.
2: You were talking about, you know, looking at some other SUVs or even just getting a new Ford Explorer and you did what most people should do when especially if you're following these traits. You, you looked at the cost. You looked at how is this going to affect things and you realized there's really no benefit to getting the newer car other than just to say that you had the newer one. Yeah, the new car's just Yeah, just That's go like, get it go get it detailed and you're good. good. <laughs> well, you know, I've been taking good care of it. You get
1: yeah. you driving it all the time, and there's there's really no scratches on the car. The, yeah, the the leather seats look great. It's great. You know? Yeah. So I'm at six years. I'm, maybe I can go four more, or five more. Yeah. I, you know, like I said, I just put new brakes and and I put new belts on it. I put yeah. new tires. I'm good, man.
2: Yeah.
1: I'm and, and you know I spent a couple of thousand dollars doing that, not fifty.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Going
1: to yeah. buy a new car all right
2: trait number 14 we should we should probably read the uh the scripture oh yeah we 12 we We did then jesus said to them all watch yourselves keep from wanting all kinds of things you should not have a man's life is not made up of things even if he has many riches i like that word things exactly yeah Yeah. (laughs) so trait number 14 they strive to do things right and are just good people.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I,
1: yeah. I think I, think I, know, I had a I typo. That's the country boy <laughs> in me. They're just, they do things right, and they're good people.
2: They're, they, just, they're good just good folks. people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that's a good one. Well, uh, we, got, we have two scriptures for this one. Psalm thirty-four, twelve through 14. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongues from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Mm-hmm. And then we also have Isaiah one seventeen. learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Yeah. Bob, you want to give us number 15?
1: Number 15. We're at the end of that. So, okay. Insert drum roll here. (laughs) the, the, The majority of wealthy people make it slowly and systematically over many years, not quickly and recklessly over just a few. Mm. You've, yep. Here's the scripture again. You've heard me say it. You've yep. you probably got to memorize if you've been listening to me. For, you know, Dishonest money dwindles away. But here's the second part that matters so much. But whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. That
2: was and Proverbs 13, 11.
1: So, Sean, in all 15 of these traits, did you ever hear me mention high investment returns one time?
2: No, but I, I think I technically mentioned it, but in, in a different context. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> that, you know, that's because investment returns do play a part in obtaining wealth, but it's not what makes the average everyday person wealthy and how they keep it. It's the simple right. things like consistently saving, um, living a disciplined lifestyle, mm-hmm. hard work, yep. doing what's right, being honest over many years.
2: That's what leads to lasting wealth. So what about high investment returns then? I mean, while they are important, there is a flawed logic behind chasing investment returns. Now that's because there will always be someone who did better than you did Mm -hmm. and someone who did worse when it comes to investment returns. You know, chasing investment returns from year to year and moving from advisor to advisor is like getting stuck in a traffic jam. Believing you're going to beat everyone else by switching lanes enough, or even exiting the freeway onto the that side road or the you know the, the access road, road. Yeah, the feeder, yeah. Yeah. yeah, only to find you didn't get to your destination any faster. Partly because guess what, everybody else, a bunch of other people also tried to go on that feeder road. A bunch of other people also were switching lanes. I,
1: I've learned this from experience, <laughs> by the way. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. when I when I saw when I put this example in there, I was thinking, yeah, I've seen myself and you look up you yeah. look up ahead, and I was like. Why did I exit off on the feeder row? Why did I just stay where I was? Because now they're they're just starting to move quicker, and I'm yeah. stuck at the stop sign, and I have to get on, you know, get back up on the interstate.
2: I guess you could use that example as you know you're heading in the right direction. So even even though you may not uh, think you're going as fast as you should, because you need to change lanes, mm-hmm. point is you still are heading in the right direction. That's right. So,
1: Sean, we had those 15 character traits of the average everyday millionaire that we Mm -hmm. talked about. Just like that, I've seen six traits that also lead to chasing investment Mm. returns. And what stemmed the subject was when we get those calls, and it's all about the investment returns, it's not about anything else. And that's where I know somebody's in a chase for, you know, the investment return. And these are six traits that I've noticed that first trait is they overly trade stocks, ETFs, and mutual funds that can lead to even gambling type of mm. habits uh, and, and behaviors. It, and it really starts with these online brokerage firms. I, man, I tell you, when I see these things on TV, they're persuasive. They use manipulative advertising tactics convincing novice investors that they can beat – experienced, well-known money managers and professionals of Wall Street that have been in the financial business for decades. And every time yep. I see that, that would be like me thinking, <laughs> I, there's no way I, that I could get on the same field with the Dallas Cowboys or the Houston Texans and compete against them.
2: Yeah, don't try that. I, that that, that would, yeah. <laughs> yeah, would, would not be good. I mean, yeah. I mean, R- R- Ronan needs his grandpa around for a little longer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it <laughs> it just can't be done 99.9% of the time um i mean not for the long run right it, it, you you may yeah. win for a season and let me tell you um you notice I put in my notes here about the monkey experiment. Maybe yep. you've not heard of that. But have you ever heard me talk about this before? I've
2: heard you talk about we okay. should still go over it okay. for, for well, listeners who have not. In
1: in the nineteen nineties they did a monkey experiment and they, they put a Rolodex in front of him with a bunch of stocks. And he just For some
2: of our younger listeners, that's a paper thing that you would flip through to have information.
1: Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. And so he just went in and the monkey, you know, just kind of picked them out and he picked out those stocks. And this was during the 1990s, during the incredible bull market boom, Mm -hmm. kind of like what we've had in the last. Yeah,
2: we've had a little bit of a bull market in the last 10 years. Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) I mean, we had COVID took us out a little while, but we've had that back. And and the monkey um, did as well as some money managers back then. Yeah. Until the market we had a bear market. Yeah, the we, market had, we had a little bit
2: of a market drop. So so
1: you can win for a season mm-hmm. playing that online game and like these online firms that are advertising to yeah. you, but you're not going to beat the pros in the long term.
2: Exactly. It's going to yeah. be
1: for a season.
2: It kind of makes bet. me think of all those, like, you know, you, you see, see these all the time, you know, or where it's this, maybe it's a trading seminar or it's this, all of a sudden like oh here's this technology that is only you know five equal payments of 9995 or it's a subscription or like it's only $5,000 and and you can get this and you you know you can make 600 1200 even $2500 you know in, in a single trade and what always gets me is it's really convincing but here's my question if that was actually true that they could consistently do that over time not just get lucky for a little while uh-huh. Why are they wasting their time selling it <laughs> yeah. to people yeah. when they could have already made millions and millions of dollars at this point? And the answer is simply that it doesn't work long-term. Yeah, it doesn't, not work no, the long term it does not There's There's not a magic bullet that takes a novice investor to all of a sudden be able to beat the market and beat all these other pros and everything going on. It just doesn't happen, not in the long run. <laughs> Trait number two of chasing investment returns it can lead to an emotional roller coaster. It's tied to only how well the markets do from day to day. Yeah. And and I I I know from from working here with you Bob like we have some clients that especially, you know, maybe when they're first getting to know us, you know, I I feel like it's understandable that they're kind of figuring out can they actually trust our team? But they're they're looking at the markets every day. Mhm. And and a, it becomes good, an emotional roller coaster. Yeah, no it becomes doubt. emotional because sometimes it's up, sometimes mm-hmm. it's down, sometimes yeah. it's sideways. But at the end of the day, usually what happens is, is at some point they they realize the methodologies and the management practices that we're using here, it's not meant for from today to tomorrow. We're looking at larger cycles than that because we're we're, in five years, 10 years. Yeah. We're, we're investing wisely. And and obviously, yes, we, you know, we're changing depending on how, how the markets change, but, Mm -hmm. but this isn't a a day trading. And so the only thing that looking at it from one day to the next, every single day and even during the day does is cause your emotions to go all over the place. And I'm telling you, you'll start doubting yourself. You get panicky. It keeps you awake at night. In that case, your emotions are great as long as things are going up and doing well. But then the markets change mm-hmm. and you start doubting yourself. You get yeah. panic. you panic, you lose sleep, like you were saying. You, you even sell good investments at a low point when there wasn't necessarily a reason to sell them. And, and bottom line, don't allow your emotions to guide your investment decisions.
1: Trait number three is
2: chasing investment returns can
1: really reduce your long-term performance trying to time the markets. I've seen this, Sean, over and over and over. There's the old phrase, buy low and sell high. However, chasing returns ends up being just the opposite. You end up buying high and selling low.
2: (laughs) That's right. So trait number four, chasing investment returns can lead to a misunderstanding of the relationship between risk and reward. You know, understanding how they're tied together to each other. Mm -hmm. You know, greater risk does not always lead to greater rewards or returns. Sure doesn't. You would think
1: that. I mean, it's supposed to, but it doesn't always. Exactly, yeah. Trait number five is chasing investment returns can lead to creating symptoms similar to sudden wealth syndrome. We did a whole podcast on sudden wealth syndrome, or it's even referred to as SWS, Mm -hmm. actually in the psychology
2: world. People yeah. get sudden wealth syndrome. They, they get this huge confidence boost that they're thinking like, oh, yeah, I am totally, I totally got this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and it really is. I have is... no qualification whatsoever <laughs> other than all of a sudden I have money. And suddenly that means I know what to do with it. It's truly a sudden wealth syndrome
1: characteristic that all of a sudden you start feeling smarter than everyone else when you've hit it big and a windfall of money from maybe a lucky stock pick. Or trade or winning a lottery ticket, striking an oil well or getting a large inheritance. We've seen that, too. Mm-hmm. It, you know, Just because you have some money, you shouldn't start believing you can be experienced asset managers and advisors. And you may, though, for a season in a strong bull market. But yeah. that's only for a season, like we were talking about. How are you going to do in the long run?
2: Mm-hmm. That's right. And the last trait we have of chasing investment returns, trait number six thinking the grass is always greener on the other side. This could be the case, but most of the time, it's not. It's kind of like we were talking about changing mm-hmm. lanes. Yeah. Advisors, mutual funds, ETFs, and even stocks, contrary to popular opinion, do not control the economy and normal economic cycles. They don't? No, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> they, they merely reflect it and, at times, may even react in a uh, seeming opposition to the economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's that thing? I think you've you've said it before, Bob. That the the markets can remain irrational longer than you can remain rational. Absolutely, absolutely.
1: So, huh? You you mean to tell me, really, advisors and mutual funds and ETFs and stocks they they don't they don't control the economy? Hmm. Okay. Nope. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's sum up this now. We have really gone deep into this. So we're going to sum up today's podcast or high investment returns in wealth. So number one, lasting wealth is obtained slowly and systematically over a long period of time using a disciplined approach, not quickly and recklessly. Number two, high investment returns are always hindsight. Just because you made a good bet three or four times in the past doesn't mean you can do the same thing in the future. Number three, be aware when you only hear about the good investments that people Mm -hmm. make. Because that's what's going to get in the news. That's what's going to be on the social event. That's going to be the guy talking at the party. Very seldom does anyone talk about the investment that they
2: lost money on. And number four, higher returns normally equal a greater risk of losing part or all of your principal and are on a longer-term commitment to be able to ride out that volatility. Yes. Number five, don't believe the lie of it's so easy a baby could do it. That's an old commercial from a long time yeah. ago. And Unless you happen to be just in the right timing of the market where literally a, a monkey could do it yeah, just as well. And, mm-hmm. But you, you never really know if it's that period of time and that's when right. that's gonna end. Uh, number six, the majority of people do not invest their way to wealth. They save their way to it. That's the saying of Sean Peters. <laughs> <laughs> Investing will not save you from saving. That's, that's how I put it. And uh, number seven, lottery winners oil strikes and inheritances are far and few between. So there you have our thoughts on high investment
1: returns and wealth. And I hope this has helped you. And I want you to know, this is not to say in any way whatsoever that good investment returns do not play a part in creating wealth. But for 99% or more of us, it's only a part. So they play a part, but it's only a part Mm -hmm. in creating wealth. Lasting wealth. You're only looking at one side of the coin. So it's the 15 traits that we talked about today that will get you there, not investment returns alone. And remember, investment returns can be like the wind, which is here one day and gone the next. Yep.
2: All 15 of the traits of millionaires we discussed today will be posted on our podcast website at christianfinancialadvisors.com podcast. You can also call 830-609-6986 during business hours for Christian financial advice.
0: That's all for now. We invite you to listen to all of our past episodes covering many financial topics from a Christian perspective. To make sure you don't miss any of Bob's upcoming episodes, you can subscribe to Christian Financial Perspectives on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or Amazon Music. To learn more about integrating your faith with your finances, visit ChristianFinancialAdvisors.com. Or call 830-609-6986. Investment advisory services offered through Christian Investment Advisors, Inc., DBA, Christian Financial Advisors, also known as Christian Financial Advisors Management Group, a registered investment advisor. Comments from today's show are for informational purposes only and not to be considered investment advice or recommendations to buy or sell any company that may have been mentioned or discussed. The opinions expressed are solely those of the host, Bob Barber, and his guests. Bob does not provide tax advice and encourages you to seek guidance from a tax professional. While Christian Investment Advisors believes the information to be accurate and reliable, we do not claim or have responsibility for its completeness, accuracy, or reliability.